Now, I'm not going to say that being in business is easy. It's a lot of work. But I think we have a, const a construct in our mind that it's really a lot more difficult and and challenging than it actually turns out to be when you break it down into those individual steps and you start taking one step at a time. Welcome to the Business Ownership Podcast, brought to you by Awareness Strategies, helping you navigate the waters between entrepreneurship and ownership. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I am super glad that you're here with us today because I am here with my most amazing guest, Franklin. Franklin, so thank you so much for being here with us today. Hey, Michelle, it's great to be here, and I'm, I'm just delighted to be your guest. Awesome. So give us a highlight of who you are and what you do for business. Well, my name is Franklin Taggart. I live in Loveland, Colorado. Um, my business uh, over the last uh, almost 12 years has been coaching uh, people who have been uh, holding on to creative dreams for quite some time, but they've just never taken them off the back burner. And I help them get those dreams lit up again and um, started. Most of the folks that I work with tend to be between the ages of 40 and 65 and uh, have been holding on to these dreams for a very long time. Uh, very my, other, my other yep. career path was music. I was in music for 43 years. Wow. So I was going to say, how did you get into uh, coaching people as a thing? Let's well, as the Grateful me. Dead are, are fond of saying, it's been a long, strange trip. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I I think I wanted to be a musician for as long as I ever wanted to be anything else. It was like I grew up in a time when music was really like an awesome. essential cornerstone of of the culture, and I was deeply influenced by sixties, seventies, eighties, even up into the nineties. Um, and and after that, I kind of lost track um, of all of the popular music of the time. I also was, I studied jazz in college and, and I had a dual, dual major in college of uh, music and business uh, because my mom insisted that I needed to have something to fall back on. Was that music? <laughs> yeah, it turned out to be. Although what's really interesting is that I've owned businesses all the way back and I started my first business while I was still in college. Um, it was music related, but it was a business and, uh, so a lot of my music experience has been also my business experience. But um, about in 2008, actually 2006, my music career got interrupted. I had tendonitis in both of my, uh, in both my arms, oh. basically from the wrist to the shoulder. So it was, it was excruciatingly painful to play the guitar. And so I had to just set it aside for a couple of years. And then at, at the height of that, I got really, really sick. And I thought, man, what am I going to do? You know, I've got a, I had a two-year-old son with my wife and um, she had just started a business right after he was born. And she was just starting to really get some traction with her business. And then all of a sudden, here I am, this lump of disabledness. And, um, and I had to find ways to make money. And one of the ways that I found to make money was online. It was like it was like the digital realm was still fairly young at that point. And you could like, you know, I had I had a bunch of blogs and I had Amazon Associates and I had Google AdWords and 
I was sitting pretty, right, with, with that kind of stuff. And I, it was something that I could do being basically housebound. Mm -hmm. And also during that time, weird things started to happen in that some of the people that I knew in my social circles and some of my guitar students started to ask me if I would help them figure out their business or figure out how to have a career in a creative direction. And so I just started helping them. And I didn't even know what I was doing was coaching, but I ultimately arrived at the conclusion that I was coaching and that I liked it. So I, I did that, you know, and those were things that I could do without, without any real physical strain. And I found that I enjoyed them all very much. When my, when my health returned and I was able to start playing music again, I didn't want to leave these other things on the sideline. So I just kept doing them. And then last year, last August, I, I finally retired from performing. Um, and Aww. now I only have one job and it's, it's pretty much just coaching now. I, I still, I still have my digital stuff as kind of a side hustle. Uh, but coaching is really my main thing now. Nice. So was mom right? Are you bringing some of that business acumen into your career now? <laughs> <laughs> it's all such a big mess. I can't even begin to tell you. I don't even know. It's like, it's, I don't know. I did some stuff at work. <laughs> uh, well, the thing that was really interesting is that when I graduated from college, I went through this depression, like God awful depression for several weeks and maybe even into, into months because I had no idea how to have a career in music. And here I really put a lot of time in to becoming a good player and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I hadn't even started writing songs yet. I was just a, I was a great guitar player. And so I played studio sessions and stuff like that, but I had no idea how to have a career in music. And ultimately what was really funny is that I didn't really know how to have a career in business either because the career that the business degree uh, really trained me for was more like being a suit at IBM or something like that. Mm -hmm. So here I was, I was graduated from college. I had a lovely paper with my name on it and no idea how, how any of it worked. And so ultimately I just, I figured it out kind of step by step that all of it was entrepreneurship. The music side of things was entrepreneurship. The small business side of things was entrepreneurship. And I had never really gotten any education in entrepreneurship other than by the seat of my pants. <laughs> well, and, that's all there was then. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't really a thing. That's exactly it was. right. It was like, well, you, people were doing it. We just didn't call it anything. <laughs> you're, you're telling my story right there. <laughs> So, well, and I, I'm very surprised that you didn't go into the voice side of things to any aspect. Well, really, what's funny is that I have done voiceover off and on ever since then. And I've done radio here and there. I've just I never liked radio as a career. Mm -hmm. So um, but voiceover is something that I do. Um, that, again, that's one of my side hustles. <laughs> but you know. just can't keep them away. Oh, awesome. no, it's just it's a really fun way to make money. I just right. didn't, I didn't want to have a whole business about that. You know? Very fun. I love it. So now in your, in your mainstream career, how do you, who do you serve and support? Who's your ideal or who do you find is coming to you most? Well, it's interesting that 
that's been all over the map too. It initially started out with people who had, like I said, those creative dreams that they'd just been holding on to for a long time. Um, I had a lot of people who were, we lived in Washington, D.C. at the time, and a lot of the folks that I worked with were like union organizers and bureaucrats and uh, a lot of government employees and and people who were kind of in conventional career paths, but they were really starting to get tired and burned out. And they wanted to see if there was a way that they could turn their creative thing into more of a revenue generator. Those were the ones who started to find me early on. But ultimately what ended up happening was that people who were kind of at a career crossroads started finding me and I would, I would work with them as well. Um, and then five years ago, I got hired by the local small business development center to work with creative uh, industry people in setting up their businesses. That's a, that's almost a straight business planning kind of a job where I'm helping them just do business plans, marketing plans, uh, strategic, uh, in strategic visioning, all kinds of stuff like that. So I've worked with people in literally every industry at this point and businesses of all sizes, not just solopreneurs, although solopreneurs have my heart, the solopreneurs and freelancers, I, I will work with from seven in the morning until seven at night. And they're, they're my favorite people. <laughs> That's awesome. And why is that? I think because I'm one of them. <laughs> they're just my they're they're my kindred people. Nice. You know, was, I know there are uh, different breeds of blueprints. Let's put it that way. Um, some are to start up the business and just have you know, knowing that you're <laughs> chasing your tail in business and yeah. trying to figure out how to create a straight line with it. Some of them are to get financing. Others are to to actually have a playbook that you can build your business out on um, yeah. and substantially different. So when it comes to the different types of business, like the artists, the the creatives, the versus somebody that says, Hey, I'm a, I'm skilled at something and I want to start a business at, I don't know, maybe professional services, like a lawyer, a, um, even a painter. Do you yeah. find that there's a difference in those in the setup and the way that the entrepreneurs have to think about how they want to set up their business? I think that there are some principles that are universal. Mm -hmm. I think the industry specifics, you know, they do come into play, but as far as the principles are concerned that are, that are around for, for how we do businesses and how we, how we set them up, how we structure them, there's a lot of similarities across the board, which is really interesting to me. So it's like if I set up an LLC for an attorney or a, or a painter, it's basically the same process in terms of the, the paperwork, you know? Now, the thing that we look at is that the marketing probably is gonna be a different animal. Uh, marketing for an artist is very different from that of an, an attorney or a, another kind of a professional service. Um, and that's where I get really excited because the marketing is the kind of creative relationship part. And those are, those are the things that really matter most to me are the, the creativity and the relationships. Um, so that's where I see the biggest difference is that you, you mentioned the word blueprint. I like to say that every business has a fingerprint and my goal as a coach is to help you find your unique fingerprint that works just for you. Nice. I love that. And so I was going to ask you what your favorite part of your business is. 
but in that creative aspect of it, are you helping people to figure out their messaging and and kind of how they're putting themselves out there or what's your forte? I I love messaging. Um, and I think part of that goes back to that one of my favorite aspects of music was songwriting, lyric writing in particular, because you had to be very economical in the words that you used. You had to have a very clear story and you had to have a hook or a punchline so that it kept people engaged in the story, right? From beginning to end. The same qualities apply in, in, in copywriting and in messaging and in, you know, writing a sales page. It's like, I'm writing a lyric here and my goal here is to help you get into the song, right? It's to help you get into the thing so that when the pitch hits, it actually makes sense and it feels right. And it's, it's like, it's a payoff and it feels good. Nice. I love that. So give us an example of a Cinderella story of one of your clients. Oh, wow. Cinderella story. That's a fun one. Um, I had a woman who sought me out. Her dream was that um, she had been a teacher uh, for many, many years, but she wanted to, in her retirement, she wanted to take her teaching and move it online. And so over the course of 12 weeks, we set up a YouTube channel and we created her first three online courses that were all fairly small mini courses. But she ended up going on, like becoming this major player in on Udemy. And it's like, she's, she's one of those people that, um, she just never stops learning. And as a result, she has carved out some amazing success for herself both on YouTube and on Udemy. Um, and I don't know, I, I can't give you her name because she's a client and I have a confidentiality agreement, but I <laughs> look at okay. her, I look at her and I just say, you know, 74 years old was when she was, was how old she was when she came to me. No way. And that was, uh, over three years ago nice. and, and she's just rocking. I love I'm stopping it. her. Yeah. Never too old. <laughs> no, not at all. Well, what's um, really funny is that um, I think COVID was kind of her inspiration for wanting to do things online. And she had never really looked into it before, but she wasn't teaching anybody while, while COVID was happening because she was, you know, primarily a live teacher. Right. And I don't know, I think maybe she saw somebody on YouTube that was talking about, you know, teaching online. And she heard she heard me talk like on a, we did it like a video series for the local, you know, startup week. And one of the classes was on, um, teaching online. We did a series of classes for people who were, you know, in the midst of their COVID pivot. And she heard that and she called me up and said, I want to do that. Can you help me? And I said, sure, let's, let's do this. I love that. It was a rock and roll kind of a moment. Right. So for somebody that's listening to this right now, what kind of stumbling blocks might they be having in their lives or in their business that they're thinking, oh, Franklin, I need you so badly. The stumbling blocks, um, mm -hmm. they're, they're generally two or three that, that are pretty common. One of them is um, self-doubt, that they just don't feel like that 
I mean, they feel like that they can have a hobby, but they don't feel like that the work that they do is good enough for a marketplace. And a lot of that is, you know, I'm going to be honest with them. If I don't think that they're ready, I'm going to be honest and say, here's where you need to develop before you're ready for the marketplace. And so I'll give them a strategy in that direction. I'm not going to I'm not going to blow smoke up their skirt. I'm going to make sure that they know that they're ready, right? So that's one of the things. If they've got a lot of self-doubt, fine. Self-doubt's a part of this. You're on the edge of the diving board and you've never you've never jumped before. So this is going to be scary. Mm-hmm. Right? It's okay. Self-doubt is a part of the equation. The second thing that I see a lot is people have been given messages um, in their past that they're not talented enough or that they don't compare favorably to other people who are doing the same thing. Um, well, we all have that as well. It's like I I was paralyzed by that for years when I was growing up because I, I could see all the ways that every other guitar player on the block was better than me. And that kept me from asserting myself and going out and trying to get the gigs, right? That was a real, that was a real drawback. So one of the things that I work with people on is helping them to understand that if you compare yourself with other people, you're actually negating your own giftedness. And what I'd really like to do is get you back in touch with that giftedness, because that actually is what you're here to express. So the only other thing that I'll put out there is that I think a lot of people have an idea in their mind that it has to be much more difficult than it is. Mm. Now, I'm not going to say that being in business is easy. It's a lot of work. But I think we have a a construct in our mind that it's really a lot more difficult and, and challenging than it actually turns out to be when you break it down into those individual steps and you start taking one step at a time. Love that. So I know our listeners are going to want more from you. How do they start their journey with you? Cool. Well, (laughs) that's a great question. And basically the easiest way to do that is to uh, schedule a call. (laughs) (laughs) And what's really fun is that my first call with you is going to be a freebie and it's actually a coaching session. It's not a pitch. I'm not going to try and pitch you. At the end of that coaching session, you'll know for sure whether or not you want to work together. And we'll find a way, if you really want to work with me, we'll find a way to make that work. So the way to to access that call is bit.ly slash best next step call. All one word, and each one of those words is capitalized. (laughs) And that'll take you right to my schedule, and you'll be able to schedule an appointment right there. Love it. We will, of course, have your links in the show notes. So, peeps, you can just scroll down, go into the show notes, and click on that link to schedule a time to meet with Franklin and get your questions answered. That's awesome. Oh, I would, I would love to hear from anybody. That that would be wonderful, Michelle. Thank you. Love it. Awesome. So, I get to ask you: At what point in life did you know that you were that special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur, even though you didn't know what the word was? <laughs> <laughs> crazy enough. Now that is really, really good. (laughs) Um, I had a lot of day jobs the first six or seven years I was out of college. And I I just bounced from 
from job to job to job and was not happy in any of them. I did not like any of them. I learned a lot from them, but I did not like any of them. I found that there was a, there was a level of dissatisfaction that was not tenable for me. I could not live with it. And finally, um, finally, I just said, I have to try this and I have to really, I really have to go out there and see if I can do this. And so I quit my job. I was working in a crisis center at that time and I should have been a client instead of a provider because I was just so deep in crisis at that moment. And I just finally said, you know, it was kind of a now or never moment. I have to do this. And so I picked up and I moved to Nashville. I lived there for almost two years, went completely broke, failed miserably. But I call that graduate school because I learned, I learned a lot about myself in that time. I learned about, I learned a lot about what I did and didn't want to do in music. And I kind of carved out my own path at that point and haven't looked back. Oh, that's awesome. I have visited Nashville. I think it's awesome. I have not experienced trying to work in Nashville. <laughs> so, so I cannot imagine what it's like being on the strip with all, all the musicians that are there going, hey, yeah, I could do better than that. Yeah, sure. I, <laughs> yeah, well. I can't imagine what was going through your head going down the street trying to figure out how to navigate it. What's really interesting in Nashville is that a lot of those musicians that you see playing out there yeah. are not getting paid. They're playing just so that they might be in the right place at the right time in front of the right person. Wow. And so very often those folks are, if they're getting paid at all, it's, it's tips. Wow. And that's one of the things that was really true. That was hard for me to learn about Nashville. I was hoping to get down there and find some paying work and that yeah. never materialized. Oh, that's so sad. It was, it was fantastic that you could stand in one spot and hear like eight bands playing at the same time. Yeah, right. <laughs> and if you tune one out and go into the other, you can realize, hey, I can hear them all in distinctly, or I can hear this concophony of sound. <laughs> well, the, the job that I ended up being able to get was installing carpet at a Motel 6. <laughs> well, that's close. And, yeah, well, that, that job, everybody else on the crew was a songwriter too. Right. And we were all after the same thing. We would we would work from like 6.30 in the morning until 3.30 in the afternoon, go home, get showered up, have something to eat. And then we would go out and uh, hit the songwriters nights at all of the different bars in town and stay out until like 2 o'clock in the morning, get up and do it again the next day. Well, it's um, kind of like waiting tables in L.A. to become an actor. Oh, all, the, all the waiters, <laughs> all of the waiters were songwriters too. I'm sure everybody <laughs> was, with, so, with the exception of some of the ones in the periphery, but yeah. A lot of them are really good. Right? They yeah, are. They're fantastic. Really good. I enjoyed so, them, but you know, my <laughs> wasn't exactly in a position to say, hey, I want to come do something else. <laughs> that was awesome. So in your entrepreneurial journey, do you have any... Uh, do you say that you have a blooper reel yet? Oh my God. And is there failed. any story that you'd be willing to share with us? I have failed so many more times than I've succeeded. 
The good ones, though. The good ones. Well, the way that I'll look at it is that I've registered 21 businesses over the years. And of those, seven have succeeded. Nice. And one of them succeeded to the point where I could actually sell it and, and profit. Nice. So the thing that I'll, I'll tell people is that this is a learning process. And the biggest thing is that failure is always a learning opportunity. And you cannot take it personally, um, no matter how easy it feels to take it personally. Don't take it personally because you know what? It's just kind of a fact of the entrepreneurial life. There are going to be things that you try that don't work. And there are going to be things that others tell you to do that don't work. And it worked for them and it's going to piss you off. This is not necessarily an easy path, but it's infinitely rewarding and and it's worth every it's worth every setback and it's worth every success it's so much fun it's, i love it i love it i love it you have been absolutely awesome franklin thank you is yeah. any last words for our peeps well i host a podcast myself yeah. and i'd love to invite people to listen to that absolutely if they'd like to. of course now this podcast is for people who love working alone it's called your own best company um i found after trying to uh, manage teams and and work with groups of people that I actually didn't like it very much. And so one of the things that I find is that I do my best work in a, in a room with a door and I tend to find every way that I can to do as much of, of my work myself. And I like it that way. Franklin, you have been absolutely awesome again. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And I know how valuable it is. Hey, Michelle, this has been a lot of fun talking with you. And uh, my invitation to you to be a guest on my podcast is still out there as well. Uh -huh. So let's let's work that out, shall we? I love it. We will do that right after this. Awesome. Cool. Peeps, this is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you for being here with us today. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share it with your friends. We love helping entrepreneurs grow. Are you running a business over seven figures but still struggling with technology headaches? Pay attention. You do not want to miss this offer. This podcast episode is brought to you by Awareness Strategies, who is offering a custom-built digital adoption roadmap for anyone running a business over seven figures who's wanting to grow their business in the next five years. And it's not just a roadmap. They offer full implementation as well. If that scares the out of you, check out awarenessstrategies.com forward slash roadmap for more details today. The link's in the show's notes. Don't regret not doing this. Do it now. That's awarenessstrategies.com slash roadmap.